Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church of Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Good morning to you, Paseo. His love is great. And I just have to confess to you that I become complacent in that love sometimes and I know the story so well, and you know the story so well, and it's so easy, and we just have to ask the Holy Spirit to continually be making that love that he has for us new in our hearts. Hey, we're going to look in the book of Daniel. We're in a series called Thriving in Babylon. We're in Daniel chapter 4. It's on page um, 885 in the Bible that's near you there if you didn't bring your Bible. And hey, you know, we, we stole the title of this series from uh, the book by Larry Osborne, one of our free church pastors up in the North, North Coast, free church up in Vista, called Thriving in Babylon. We stole it with his permission. He said, yeah, you can use it. And, and the seed thought for this series came from this book as well. It's a really good read, a fast read, and we've got about 40 copies of it available out on this patio today. It's regularly $15.95. We're gonna sell it to you for $16.95. And uh, we're going to sell it to you for 10 bucks. So it's a, it's, great, it's a great read for you. It's a great gift to give. So um, buy those 40 books out there, and Larry can go on vacation a little bit longer that way too. So, hey, we are in Daniel 4. Pull your uh, message uh, outline that's uh, there in your bulletin. Pull that on out. And um, when, as we come to Daniel chapter 4, the first thing, the first point in your text is when we read the first three verses of Daniel chapter 4, what you're going to say is like, say what? Who are they talking about? What in the world is this? So chapter 4, and our first point is, say what? Um, so when we come to chapter 1, we, we get King Nebuchadnezzar's own words. So this is kind of weird. Chapter 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and the people of every language who live in all the earth. So Nebuchadnezzar is like the boss of the world, right? He is like the wizard of Babylon, and he just rules everything. And anything he says is the way it is. He says to all the nations and the people of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. Now, you, if you know Nebuchadnezzar already, you're going like, this doesn't sound like the Nebuchadnezzar I know. Because is all he wishes for is his own prospering, not the prospering of anyone else. And then look what he says in verse 2. It is my pleasure to tell you, everyone in the world, about the miraculous signs and the wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Now the Most High God, that's the God we worship. That's the true God, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And Nebuchadnezzar, evil King Nebuchadnezzar, is saying, hey folks, everywhere, it brings me great pleasure to tell you about the miraculous, wonderful things that the most high God of the whole universe has performed to me. And then he breaks into uh, like a psalm in verse 3. He says, how great are his ways, his signs. How mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, up to this point, every time we find Nebuchadnezzar, he's praising himself. 
And so there in verse, in verse 3, you could put his name in there. How great are my signs? How great are my wonders? How great is my kingdom? It's the eternal kingdom. But Nebuchadnezzar is like frying our brains in verses 1 through 3. Because this is the Nebuchadnezzar who in chapter 1, remember uh, about four weeks back, in Daniel chapter 1, who takes his army and sweeps into Jerusalem and, and, and beats up on the Israelites and destroys their temple and takes captive captive, rapes women, takes women away from there, takes articles out of the temple, takes these articles, these gold and silver out of the temple, and takes all these thousands, maybe tens of thousands of captives back to Babylon where he rules over them. Because he is the wizard of Oz, isn't he? He controls everything. And then in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, right? And, and he won't tell the dream to anyone. He says, you've got to guess at my dream and then interpret it right. And the dream was of a statue, and the statue had a head on it, and the head was made of gold. And that head of gold represented Nebuchadnezzar. He was the head of gold of the whole world. And so Nebuchadnezzar is really all about himself. And then in chapter 3, last Sunday, out on the, didn't we have a great time out on the lawn last Sunday, worshiping together out there? That was just awesome. And we saw in chapter 3 that Nebuchadnezzar, now he doesn't just build a statue with the head of gold, but he builds a statue that is three times higher than the peak of this roof right here. It's 90 feet high three times higher than the peak of this roof. And he doesn't just make the head out of gold, he makes the whole thing out of the gold. And he says, everyone must bow down and worship this statue of gold. And we don't know if it's a statue of himself or it's a statue of his favorite God, but it represents him and his power and his authority. Now, look, look, look in chapter 4 at verse 30, where Nebuchadnezzar says this. He, he, he is... Uh, or in verse, um, yeah, in verse, in verse uh, 30, he says, Is not this the great Babylon, that, this grand city? Is this not the great Babylon that I have built as my royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? That's the Nebuchadnezzar we're used to, right? And, and in fact, he had taken this city of Nebuchadnezzar, of, excuse me, this city of Babylon that was just a little outpost, and he built it. We've got a couple of pictures or drawings we've looked at before. He, he built this city into the largest city that the world had ever seen before. Um, he, it was, he, he built it around the uh, river Euphrates, drawbridges, ferry boats. There's one bridge that they've discovered the stanchions on that, that, that is 400 feet long. The walls of this city... Uh, let me make sure I get this right. I don't want to make this up. Um, uh, the walls were, were, there were double walls all around the city. And um, if you were to walk around the ramparts of the walls of the city, you would walk 56 miles. But you didn't have to walk because you could drive two Honda Civics side by side along the tops of the walls of the city. They were, they were that wide. Uh, they used chariots instead of Honda, Honda Civics, uh, but, uh, but but that's how wide they were. And the walls, the walls were 300 feet high. Now, you know how, how, how high 300 feet is? When you go to Petco this afternoon to watch the Padres beat up on the Giants, when you go to Petco and you look across uh, over toward the convention center, there's a hotel there right across that really cool bridge that goes across Pacific Coast Highway. And what's the name of that hotel there? 
That's that's one of them the other way where the poorer people stay. The Hilton. There's a Hilton. And the Hilton is 300 feet high. So next time you're down at Petco, you look over there. That's how high these 56 miles of wall were all the way around. And they were richly, ornately um, um, uh, uh, decorated all around them. And now, in, in, in he, we know that Nebuchadnezzar had at least three palaces, and then he built the, one of the seven wonders of the world, the hanging uh, gardens of Babylon. And we think that he probably built these gardens for his wife. His wife came from a very fertile area, and Babylon, we know where Babylon is, is in the middle of the desert, right? And very little grows there. And so Nebuchadnezzar, perhaps to remind his wife of where she had come from, built these massive, beautiful hanging gardens. So, so you can see why in verse 30 he says, is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of ma- my majesty? So when we read verses 1, 2, and 3, we've got to say, say What? Is this the same Nebuchadnezzar? Well, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. What the writer has done is he has put at the the beginning of the chapter what actually happened, he he, he puts at the beginning of the chapter the conclusion of the story. So instead of us going through this step, this step, this step, this step, and then discovering what the conclusion is, What our author has done is taken the conclusion, the end of the story, and he's put it at the beginning. It's a literary device. And so everything that you are going to read, that we're going to read today, and once we get past uh, verse 3, everything that we're going to read precedes verses 1 to 3. In fact, it uh, it happened at least eight years before verses 1, 2, and 3. So 1, 2, and 3 are the conclusion of the story that's been brought to the front. So we've got to figure out what in the world happened that brought Nebuchadnezzar, that changed him so incredibly. So let's let Nebuchadnezzar, here's point two, let's let, let's let Nebuchadnezzar tell his amazing and crazy story of what happened to him. So look with me at verse 4. I, and this is at least eight years earlier, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. So Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you, you got to get the setting here. He's in one of his three palaces in Babylon, and he is in the. He, I mean, he's got it made in the shade of this of this ninety foot high statue, doesn't he? Statue of gold. I mean, everything is going right for Nebuchadnezzar. He rules the earth. Anything he says, anything he wants. Uh, nobody gives him any lip. I mean, it's just like at my house. It's just he, just, he just has it made. He's got a remote control. He's got Netflix. He's just got everything that he would ever want to have. He's there in his palace, right? Verse 4. And he was content and he was prosperous. Verse 5. He has a dream. And this dream made him afraid. It not just made him afraid, the text tells us, it terrified him. Now, I have some advice for King Nebuchadnezzar. He ought to stop eating pizza just before he goes to bed. Because whenever I eat pizza, pepperoni pizza, I don't know, it makes me dream weird things at night. Probably you have something like that as well. But he has this dream uh, that comes to him, and, and it is a really strange dream. 
And so what he does is when he wakes up in the morning, he goes and he gets busloads of his magic dudes, right? These guys who are getting paid to interpret dreams, but they're, they're, they're batting about zero, zero, zero. So he gets like these busloads of these guys and he comes. Now this time he's nice. He tells them the dream and he says, interpret it. And they go, King, uh, sorry, we have no idea what this dream is about. So who does he go to? He goes to Daniel. Belteshazzar is the name that he's been given. I'm going to call him Daniel this morning, but Belteshazzar is the name that King Nebuchadnezzar has given him. Bel um, is the name of, of Nebuchadnezzar's favorite god. So he gives them this, so he gives Daniel this de- demonic name, the name of a, of a false god, of a demonic god. And so he calls Daniel, and he says, Daniel, I know you are the one who can interpret dreams. And, 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 and so he tells him the dream, and I want, he says, I want you to interpret the dream. Now, in verses, uh, uh, verse uh, 10 and there, we find out what the dream was. And let me just tell you what the dream was. This is a really weird dream. So Nebuchadnezzar, he's laying on his bed. He's, he's content and happy satisfied and he has this dream and this dream is about he he's in this big field and in the middle of this field is a tree that goes high up into the heavens this tree is like taller than god and this tree doesn't just go high but it goes wide and this tree has these multiple beautiful branches and on these branches are these incredible Um, huge leaves and on these leaves and on this tree are fruit that is just growing luscious fruit and this fruit just is a so abundant there's no stoppage of this fruit and in this tree are nests and all of the birds of the earth live in this tree and they just eat this fruit in this magnificent huge massive tree and they just get all that they want and underneath this huge tree live all of the animals of the earth, and all of the animals are fed by the fruit that falls out of the tree. I mean, it is just this absolutely incredible picture. And then we come to verse 14. Uh, In the dream, a messenger came to King Nebuchadnezzar in the dream. And it says, he called out in a loud voice, verse 14, cut down the tree and trim off all of its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. And then this very interesting change of person. Let him. And we've been talking about a tree, haven't we? And suddenly, without any explanation, the story begins talking about a person, a male person. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals along with the plants of the earth. So this tree that provided for everyone else now becomes personified into a person who now is like one of the, like one of the animals that the tree protected and is eating the fruit like the tree had produced. Um, verse 16, or let me, let me read uh, the middle of 15. Let, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed 
from that of a human or a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times has passed. And the heavenly spokesman said in the dream, the decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High, our God, is sovereign over every kingdom on earth and He gives those kingdoms to anyone He wishes and sets, them, sets over them the lowliest of people. So King Nebuchadnezzar has this scary, weird, catastrophic dream. And God, even in this dream, even in the scary parts of life, God is giving grace. And this dream, as weird as it is, as scary, as foreboding as this dream is, this dream is part of God's grace to King Nebuchadnezzar. And that's what we're going to talk about for a bit here. We're going to talk about, I think it's point three on your message outline, about some amazing graces from God into the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if there's anyone who doesn't deserve grace, it's King Nebuchadnezzar. We've just seen it, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. We even saw it down in verse 29 or whatever. This is a guy who's godless. Oh, he has gods, small, he's a lot of small g-gods, but he's against our God. He's, he's got all these women, he does what he wants, he, he, he's an egomaniac. You know, he is as God, big g-godless as they come. He is so undeserving of God's grace. And that's what God loves to do. He loves to give His grace to those who least expect it and who are really aware that they don't deserve it. Now we're going to see God's grace, amazing grace to, to Nebuchadnezzar a couple of ways. The first way we're going to see it is through Daniel. So that's our first point, uh, point or point A here in your sermon outline. God's grace through Daniel. So look at verse 19. Then Daniel was greatly perplexed for a time. So Nebuchadnezzar has told him this dream, and Daniel sits there like, I think like frozen. I'm not sure. But I think he's like, oh my goodness. I th he, he, God's, God's giving him the meaning of this dream. And, 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 and so Daniel is like, oh, I, I, I can't believe this. He says, and his thoughts, Daniel's thoughts, terrified him. Now look at this. The king and Daniel trade roles. Daniel, or the king now is comforting Daniel. So the king said, uh, Belshazzar, Daniel, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. And I think Daniel's thinking, yeah, wait till you hear this dream. Uh, this, what the interpretation of this dream is, man, it is going to alarm you. Now, um, I, I want you to see here, when we, as we read the next verse, how I want you to look for the compassion of Daniel toward Nebuchadnezzar. I want you to look for the grace of Daniel, God's grace through Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel answered and said to the king, he said, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Now, 
I just think this is an incredible evidence of the Holy Spirit working in Daniel's life. He is thriving in Babylon. Now, what's your natural tendency? I'm not going to ask for hands. But what's your natural tendency when someone that's done you wrong has incastrated you? And when their life starts to go wrong? Kind of inside, aren't you a little bit like, yes! Just a little bit. No, no hands. No hands. Yesterday, April and I, were, uh, we were driving up uh, Interstate 15. We were going up to near Valley Center to cool off uh, up there. Wrong, wrong direction, right? We were wrong direction. We were going up there because we were going to a wedding up in that area. So as we're driving up there, I'm in the, I guess the number one lane. That's the fast lane. I never can remember which one. Okay, number one lane. I just made an edict. Uh, number one lane, that's the fast lane. We were in the number two lane, and we were going along, and I was going about the speed limit. You know, there's kind of a range there, right? And I was moving right along, and, and just, just a little bit ahead of me was someone else that was kind of in the fast lane, kind of going just a little bit faster than I was. And I could just see then in my side view mirror this car coming up the fast lane, just, just flying. And it got, it got right up, right behind this other car, just got really close to it. And you could tell the person that behind was just really irritated that someone else was living in their world, right? And blocking their lane there. And, and I'm just looking over. I'm just hoping it's not someone from Paseo del Rey. That was my, that was my biggest concern. I was praying. And uh, so this car in the fast lane didn't pull over. So instead, this car behind, you know, whipped in front of me and then whipped ahead and then whipped back in that lane, you know. You've done that before. I've seen you drive. And, and then the, some other cars blocked it. I was just kind of watching this car weave back and forth, you know, just go. And so just about then as I'm kind of watching, I'm just thinking, what a jerk. Just what a jerk this person is, you know. And just about then, I look out my side view mirror again, and here the most beautiful thing I've ever... What? It was a snap-on t- truck? tool truck coming. What were you laughing about? I don't get it. So in my side view mirror, I see a highway patrol Ford Explorer coming up. He doesn't have his lights on or anything, which is always a good thing when they're behind you. And so he pulls up, and the, and the blessing was he went right by me. Oh, I love that when they go right by you. And then he pulled in front of me, and then he went over a couple more lanes, and I'm thinking, it's up there. I'm, I'm yelling at the guy. It's up there. It's up there. And so then he starts pulling back over. And this guy was, the highway was doing the same thing this other car was doing. And I'm just thinking, oh, I hope he sees him. I just hope he sees him. And sure enough, the lights come on. And I am like, hallelujah. This is so cool. This is so good. And so the, and this highway just pulled this guy right over to the side of the road. And I said to April, and I'm not kidding you, she'll tell you, I said this, honey, should we honk and wave as we drive by? And April has a lot more of the Holy Spirit's control in her life than I do. And she said, no, because it could have been you. <laughs> See, April knows me very well. You know, like when, when someone that's done you wrong, I mean, that's just a, a small little thing, right? But when someone's done you wrong, there's something inside of us that wants to rejoice. And what they deserve is me honking and waving when I drive by. But that's where grace comes in, right? What does Paul say in Romans chapter, the end of chapter 12, the last verse of chapter 12? He says, says, don't 
overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, it's because Jesus has overcome, overwhelmed us with His forgiveness, with His kindness, with His graciousness, that we're now empowered. We don't do this in our own ability, but it's the ability of the gospel living inside of us. And we then letting Jesus' forgiveness for us that was totally undeserved. And when you start thinking that you deserve more grace than the next guy, you've missed what grace is all about. And we need to come back to the cross and realize how desperate every single one of us, that Nebuchadnezzar didn't need more grace than I did. They say, I can, just, I can list all of Nebuchadnezzar's sins. And in some ways, he did a lot more bad stuff than I've ever done. But my sin is just as heinous before God's as Nebuchadnezzar's. And so here is Daniel, who is so gracious to him. This, this king that he disagrees with politically, this, this king who has done so much wrong, look how he addresses them in the middle of verse 19. My Lord. He didn't go online and start calling him names. He didn't send emails on that slandered some leader in our country. He just said, my Lord, if only this dream applied to your enemies and and, and its meaning to your adversaries. Look at his kindness toward the king. He doesn't want to see the king get wiped out. He wants to see the king come to know Jesus. And the best way for people, one of the best ways for people to come to know Jesus that you live around, that you hang out with, that you live in, is when they see grace in your relationships, your marriage, your friendships with your kids, and then they they experience the grace of Jesus through you. I think that's a really powerful discipleship and evangelism tool is when we offer grace to other people, and they're surprised by it, right? It's unexpected, just like it was in your life and in my life. Now, I, I want to tell you, that being graceful to someone means that you will tell them the truth. But you'll say it in a graceful way. Sometimes I think we, we think that being graceful to someone means that you're not going to say the hard thing that needs to be said. No, you just say it a different way. It, it's what I like to call a grace sandwich, you know? The bottom bun is grace, the top bun is grace, and the truth's in the middle. You don't compromise the truth. And then you just slather on more grace and people begin to get it. And I think that's what Daniel did. My Lord, if only the dream applied to your servants, uh, to, excuse me, to your enemies, and it's meaning to your adversaries. The tree, verse 20, you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty... You are that tree. And you've become great and strong, and greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distance, distant parts of the earth. Uh, verse 23, Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from the heavens saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump. Now, you can imagine Nebuchadnezzar, the sweat pouring down his brow. He is the tree that will be cut down, and the stump will be bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him, that tree, who is Nebuchadnezzar, be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with wild animals until seven times, probably seven years, we're not positive, 
but probably seven years have passed for him. This is the interpretation. Look at, how, look at Daniel's graciousness, his thriving in Babylon, your majesty. And this is the decree of the Most High who has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals and you will eat grass. Oh my goodness. He's going to become a bovine. He's going to eat the grass from the ground and you'll be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone He wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, I beg you, be pleased to accept my advice. Do you see the graciousness of God operating through Daniel? Daniel is thriving in Babylon for Jesus where he's gracious, where he could be mean, where he could try to overcome evil with more evil. But he doesn't. He lets the Holy Spirit be changing him, reminding Daniel of the grace that he had received as well. Model grace. Live grace. Moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and neighbors and friends. It demonstrates how good God is. Don't compromise the truth. But do it in a way that just leaks grace all over the place. Well, there's the second. God's grace of repentance. God's grace of repentance, verse 27. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. And here is his advice, and it's a gift of grace. He's given him a warning. See, the warning is Grace. The, you know the whole book of Revelation, people say, book of Revelation is all about judgment. I don't think it is. I think it's all about grace. Because God is warning us, if we keep going this way, that this is what's going to happen to us. So he says, turn. That's exactly what he's doing here. It's this grace of warning and repentance. Your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins. Turn away from your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed, and it may be that your prosperity will continue. What Daniel is urging him to do is to, is to respond to the grace of judgment and conviction and repentance. He's, he's telling Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, you keep going this way, it's going to be bad news for you. So turn Turn all the way around and come back and face and look up to God. You've always been looking down at God. You always thought you were taller than God. You're not. You're nothing. You're a clod compared to God. You look just like all the rest of us. We need to look up to God. When April and I were driving up 15 yesterday, when we hit Escondido, if I said, oh, honey, I left something in Chula Vista. Let's get off of the next off-ramp and go east. That would have been a 45-degree turn. Wouldn't have got us to Chula Vista. If I said, let's go west, would have taken us out to Oceanside. Uh, wouldn't have got it back to Chula. This is still a radical turn. When God says to repent, He says to turn around, get off the off-ramp, and head back south if you want to come to Chula Vista. So where is it that you want to go, my friends? Guys, if you keep looking at pornography, I'm going to tell you where you're going to go. You're going to end up at a place that you don't want to be at in your marriage. Because you're going to start thinking of women as objects 
rather than the beauty of your wife who you love and cherish. Guys, if, if, you, if you keep playing around with pornography, you're not going to get where God wants you to get. You're not going to get where you want to get. And those of us that play around with gossip, or those of us that play around with holding grudges against people, and you're on a highway that's taking you to a place that you don't want to go to. You know, if you, live, if you live a bitter and an unforgiving lifestyle, if you, live, if you live a lifestyle in which you're always talking negatively about people behind their backs, the people around you are going to hear it. And guess what? Your kids and your grandkids and the people you're around are going to grow up like you are. And, and God says, man, it's time to... I'm giving, the reason I'm saying this to you today is because I want to warn you because a warning is grace. Because if you keep going this way, it's going to end up somewhere you don't want it to end up. An attitude or um, a habit or an addiction that you found yourself in. You know, we all find ourselves in those places at times. And God wants to convict you by his Holy Spirit. And I think he wants to use me and use others. He wants to use people that you know and you love who will speak strongly and clearly and gracefully into your life. Because he, does, he wants to warn you not to keep going that way, but to get off the ramp and to, and to begin to head back toward him and to look up at him. You're not God in your life anymore. He is. And that's a grace. Don't feel like your hand is being slapped. Feel that you're being embraced by God when he warns you. That's what Nebuchadnezzar needed to find and figure and experience in his life is he needed to turn around and God was using Daniel to convey that to him in his life, to repent. Um, now, look what, look what happens here in verse uh, 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, I love this about God's grace. He just gives us so much time. Sometimes I think he gives me too much time because then I get lazy and I get complacent. He gives Nebuchadnezzar after this clear warning, repent, renounce your sins, come to my grace, look up to me. He gives him a whole year and Nebuchadnezzar just gets fatter and dumber and happier under the shade of his 90-foot statue, doesn't he? He just, just living blindly. Just he's the king. He's taller than God. See, that's part of the problem. Twelve months later, verse 29, as the king was walking on the roof of his wonderful, incredible royal palace of Babylon, here it is, he said, look at all that I have built for my mighty power and the glory of my majesty. And then look at verse 31, even as these words were on his lips, he became a bovine. His grandeur was stripped from him. His glory was stripped from him. He was driven from his people. The most powerful man on the earth is now living homeless, drenched every morning by the dew of the night, living on his hands and his feet, claws growing. He lost his mind. He went crazy. He went berserk until, verse 34, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, oh, this is the good thing, in God's grace, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason was restored. And then I praised the Most High God. 
Sometimes it takes the grace of a breaking, doesn't it, in our lives to cause us to get off of our high horse and to look up to God instead of looking down at God. I don't know what part of your life it is that you need to repent, but I think, I think, I think probably most all of us need to repent. And it's an ongoing thing. It's not just once and it's over. But and I, I just don't want you to see repentance as a bad thing, as a, as a, as a, as a bad thing at all. It's a graceful thing that God welcomes us. He convicts us of our sin. And he says to change, to turn around and drive the other way on the freeway so you might find what, what it is that you really want in life and what really you really need. In, in Acts chapter 3, in the Message Bible, it says this. It says, now it's time to change your ways. Turn, repent, face God so he can wipe away your sins and pour out showers of blessing to refresh you. God wants to bring that refreshing in your life. But it means that you're going to have to repent. And that's a hard thing. And sometimes God's got to knock us over. I, 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 hope you, I hope you come and are embraced by his grace and his kindness before he has to knock you over. But look at the very last verse of chapter 4. The very last sentence of chapter 4. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Pride looks a lot different for a lot of different people. For some of us, it's just really obvious. But for others of us, it's about a pride inside of us. And it's about us knowing more than God. And we're going to make our own choices. And we're going to rule our own lives. We make a little God out of ourselves. But God in his grace is speaking to us today and speaking to me convicting us of sin that we need to repent of and that's all by his grace Lord Jesus would you not stop working in our lives may we not grow complacent may we not grow used to your grace and Lord Jesus, would your Holy Spirit convict us of um, sins of all different sorts and shapes and configurations in our lives. Holy Spirit, would you search us and know us and help to identify to the, those places that we've become accustomed to and we've justified and we've, we've allowed to, um, to fester in our lives. And Jesus, would you convict us in your grace? And may we, like Nebuchadnezzar, lift our eyes to you and discover in you all that we need and all that we want and that you would bring winds of refreshment as we walk with you. And may we be men and women and young people who... Um, are graceful to one another and are graceful to our neighbors and our bosses and our friends that those who don't yet know your grace might see it and taste it through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship him for his grace and worship him for all of his gifts and let's
share together in the giving of our gifts uh, out of thankfulness to the Lord.